Hello, everyone. Welcome to Coin Scrum Without Live Ventures. Today, we're interviewing Chris Donovan, who's General Counsel at Outlier. Welcome, Chris. Thanks very much for having me, Ian. Good to be here. You're welcome. Let's start with an introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourself and the good work that um, Outlier do in the community. Sure. So, um, yeah, I'm um, General Counsel, head of legal, like you mentioned, at, um, at Outlier. So we are a, a UK-based uh, venture capital firm, and we've been in the space, you know, specifically focusing on blockchain and crypto since 2013. So, you know, we've seen the highs and the lows um, that, that the space, you know, continues to experience. Um, our, our main focus at the moment is that we we run uh, various accelerator programs where we identify, you know, early stage projects operating in our space that we, you know, we think have a lot of potential, and we help them um, get set up and you know accelerate them towards. Uh, you know their first rounds of investment, and you know we provide um, various forms of assistance as they come through the program. Everything from um, you know covering their costs, so you know cutting their first check, um, you know providing introductions to investor networks, helping them with uh, pitches, um, you know product design, marketing, and, and all of the rest of it. Um, and as you will also know, we are quite active in the community, and you know we we. We we like to take a big role in advocating for you know what we're doing collectively in the space and, and with all of this technology. So one of the reasons why it's great to be here today. Thank you, for that, Chris. And so let's let's talk first about the regulatory regime in the UK. We've seen a little bit of clarity recently uh, from the UK government, and, and one could argue that we, um, as the UK, is taking a hands-off approach perhaps a piecemeal wait-and-see policy to uh, crypto assets, which is in contrast to what we've seen with uh, Mika markets and crypto assets coming out of Brussels, uh, which in itself is a broad in scope. We can, we can say with uh, surety that's three core pieces of activity, specific regulation um, in the UK, and the government is saying this is, in their view, a, su- a sufficient framework to protect consumers and defend against economic crime right now. And so we have the money laundering regime. This went live January 2020. We have a financial promotions consultation, which closed in November 2020. Um, and the current open public consultation, which is tied to crypto assets and stablecoin consultations, looks to bring in stable tokens that are used for payment in the UK. So let me ask you, Chris, in your view, what do you think about this approach in regards to, say, UK policy and attracting foreign investment into the UK? Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, first of all, I'd, I'd add one more item to that that list of three that you mentioned, which was the uh, the ban on the uh, sale to uh, retail investors of uh, crypto derivatives and exchange traded notes, which also came into effect at the beginning of this year. Um, and the reason why I mention it is, I think it's it's a good example of the piecemeal approach that you mentioned, and and perhaps an example where it doesn't always go as well as it could. And I think a lot of people in the industry in relation to that ban were a little bit disappointed that it, it kind of came across more as a, as a knee-jerk reaction to, to, to the space and some of the developments in, in the market rather than a more considered and proportionate approach, which I think you know we would all advocate for when it comes to regulating our, our space. But I think in general, as you say, we are taking a slightly different tack to say our, you know, our European neighbors with Mika, which is, you know, a very kind of sweeping attempt to govern almost all aspects of crypto assets, you know, that aren't currently sitting within, say, MIFID securities law, or maybe, you know, the e-money payment services um, regimes. 
And there are some merits to taking that approach. And, you know, I think you see them when you look at it from a European perspective, because it brings harmonization, at least potentially, you know, it's a regulation, so it has direct effect. And it, and it gives businesses looking to operate and unlock that market, you know, some certainty about understanding that if they, for example, are authorized or, you know, conducting themselves in accordance with the regulations in one member state, then they are able then to roll out their products and access customers, you know, throughout um, all EU member states, which I think does bring with it some benefits. But then equally, there are some onerous um, so onerous components in there as well that I think have certain uh, projects slightly concerned. And I think particularly with regards to stable coins and, you know, the likes of Libra or, or, or similar endeavors, you know, are, are facing quite a lot of scrutiny, scrutiny and probably quite a lot of administrative burden in the event that, that Mika is, you know, brought into force, you know, substantively in the form that, that we've seen it in, in the draft proposal. So I think, you know, looking at it from the UK perspective and the idea that, that they are, you know, at least purporting to take a more nuanced approach, you know, that does have some advantages because it isn't a one-size-fits-all uh, policy, you know, it allows them perhaps to be a little bit more receptive to specific circumstances and to specific nuances in into how our how our sector develops. And you know, I think that there have been some good examples of that, as you say. So I think first of all, you know, in the UK we have been relatively forward thinking in that we have quite a well defined regulatory perimeter for how these assets are actually dealt with from a regulatory perspective. And that's actually, it's been refined over the last 18 months or so, but the FCA was quite proactive in, in you know, implementing some quite clear guidance for firms, which is helpful when, you know, businesses are trying to understand where they might fall um, with regards to the regulatory perimeter. So I think that's been advantageous and more nuanced than you might see in some other jurisdictions. Um, and I think more generally, you know, there, there's an expression at least in principle, uh, of a desire for the regulation to be proportionate and to be, um, you know, forward thinking, thinking and proactive rather than too reactive. And I think in you know you mentioned that uh, there's currently a consultation underway with regards to stable coins or stable tokens, and you know whether or not they should be essentially added, you know, a, a new category, uh, a regulatory category added for them, uh, you know, to sit alongside the three other categories that we currently have in the UK, which are security tokens, you know, payment or e-money tokens, and then the kind of unregulated tokens bucket that captures just about everything else. You know, and in that consultation, as you know, um, what they, you know, what the what, um, Her Majesty's Treasury talk about is implementing a high level kind of set of objectives, which the FCA can then take away and actually implement into codes of conduct and other more kind of specific formulations. But it gives it gives the regulator the flexibility to react, you know, in a way that hopefully is proportionate and sensible. So I think on balance, there have been some elements that, as I said, are a little bit more reactive and, and that ban of the, you know, the sale of crypto derivatives and ETNs to, to retail investors is one example. And I think, you know, when you look at the consultation for that proposal, 97% of respondents felt that an outright ban was not the right approach there and maybe was a little bit too much of a blunt instrument. But then I think perhaps, you know, there is an acknowledgement, uh, you know, that a more sensitive approach perhaps is starting to trickle down through government and, and maybe will also have an effect as to how the FCA actually, you know, develops its approach over the next 12 to 18 months. Yeah, thanks, Chris. And you touched on the interesting point, and they actually used the terminology in the consultation. 
um, to have a fair balanced proportionate approach and this uh, sort of wait and see what some of the supranational agencies such as FATA, um, OECD, um, IOSCO will do going forward is the approach because we know this industry is dynamic so it's better to have a broader set of regulatory uh, clarity than it is to, to sort of please every little aspect, such as non-hosted wallets, which you see in the US, or or algorithmic stable coins, which which Nika brings you into scope, but the UK says that they're going to be unregulated. Absolutely, um, and you know, and, and just to jump in there, sorry, very quickly, and I think you know another another piece of the puzzle, obviously, is execution. So I think you know the intention is one thing, and I think we do have some promising signs on on where they would intend to take the regulatory regime. However, the execution is another. And I think it is fair to say that in some elements that has been somewhat disappointing of late. And I think a good example would be the new FCA registration regime, which you also touched upon, um, you know, a requirement under well, the implementation of the uh, fifth anti-money laundering directive. And, you know, there have been some, some issues, I think to put it mildly with, you know, with the FCA processing, that, that process and actually onboarding new applications and getting all of that infrastructure set up. And I think the principle, of course, is absolutely fine. And, and we would, like any other market uh, participant, we would welcome you know a more robust AML and KYC regime. But I think the execution needs to also stand up, um, you know, because otherwise projects look at, at the the mess that um, you know is developing at the moment with this registration and they get concerned and they think well actually there are other jurisdictions which um which look like they could handle this more smoothly and won't disrupt my business as, as part of the process mm -hmm. oh, that's a good point and i think that is perhaps um um something for for a future uh interview to talk about the uh, current um, transition of the eu money laundering directive five in the uk because we're seeing many many issues but um all right well let's uh, chris uh, move on to some of the good work that outlier is doing to help to promote the uk as a place um, for folks to come and work now i understand you are currently seeking to apply to the uk government's visa endorsing body scheme which would allow for talented entrepreneurs to obtain working visas in the uk and thus build exciting technical uh, architecture here that's absolutely right, and so quite right. We are currently in the early stages, um, you know, of going through the process to become what is called a visa endorsing body. And in effect, what that would allow us to do is um, is issue innovator and startup visas, which are particular categories of, of visas to individuals who are entrepreneurs and they are looking to set up new businesses and do that from the UK. Um, and I think that's become even more relevant, you know, post Brexit, when when we are, you know, attempting to chart this new course, and I think it's it's extremely important that we are able to ensure that, you know, when these very talented founders are, are evaluating where they would like to set up shop, you know, and that that includes not just incorporation, but of course hiring people, taking on investment, that actually the UK is right up there, if not, you know, the first destination of choice, if possible. Um, for these projects, and you know, I think, and in the absence of a an appropriate kind of um, immigration framework to attract talent, you know, I think that that we risk falling behind um, other jurisdictions that um, that do offer, you know, similar schemes, and maybe in certain circumstances make them particularly focused on our industry uh, in a way that the current setup here in the UK isn't, we feel it's a little bit underserved and it would be helpful if there was an expert, you know, working in the space such as Outlier who can actually help drive that process forwards. Yeah, and coming out of COVID, we know that a lot of 
non-UK residents have, have gone back home. So we'd hope to attract the, 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 these talented folks back to the UK to help really you know, push our economy forward coming out of both uh, potential Brexit and, uh, and COVID headwinds for the economy. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we... We work with approximately 50 projects every year at the moment, but we are scaling rapidly. So that number probably will continue to go up. And I, I think it's fair to say at the moment that when you look at the, the geographic breakdown you know, of the teams that we work with, UK-based teams or teams that are actually setting up in the UK are, are increasingly becoming a minority. You know, and that is definitely something that we want to change. And, and whilst we appreciate and, and of course embrace um, you know, innovation from all over the world, you know, I think we do want to make sure that the UK remains, you know, one of the first places of choice for these innovations. Thank you. Um, okay, so back to sort of the UK and just general industry-wide problems um, in crypto. Uh, could the UK perhaps take a regulatory lead with what we were discussing earlier? Uh, post-Brexit, uh, for example, and could make the UK attractive for blockchain firms to establish themselves here. Um, and then second part of this is, you know, if if not, if that was not the case, and the UK was seen to be somewhat not a friendly jurisdiction for blockchain and crypto businesses, you know, what jurisdictions do you think that we in the UK could lose out on not being proactive or, or having balanced regulation? Mm. Sure. Well, I, so to the first part of your question, you know, what could the UK regulators focus on to, to, to try and make the UK a more attractive jurisdiction? I think we kind of touched upon it earlier, but I think the first thing is clarity. So I think you know, we are going through some consultation processes at the moment. And I think a lot of projects have their eye on what the outcome of, of, of those consultations will be. So, you know, I think we hope that we do get clear and proportionate outcomes in relation to the various items that you identified earlier, particularly with regards to financial promotions and stable coins or stable tokens. But I think more specifically, one thing that the UK has historically done very well is leverage the sandbox infrastructure to great effect. And I think that there's never you know, been a greater um, synergy for, for that type of regulatory experiment than, than with our technology. And I think there are particular areas that I think would benefit very strongly from a sandbox approach. So one example would be the, the, the DeFi, decentralized finance space, which you know is essentially building on a lot of the fintech innovations that we've seen over the last 10 or 15 years, but in a decentralized context. And I think, you know, were the regulators to be open to actually perhaps updating the sandbox to allow businesses to experiment with those technologies specifically. So for example, you know, how do lending licenses work in the kind of decentralized finance protocol space? What kind of leverage limits might be acceptable within that sandbox, for example? I think that the UK would do very well in attracting some of these very exciting new protocols to actually establish themselves in the UK. And I think there's probably one other piece of the puzzle that, that's particularly interesting at the moment is around, you know, there are a lot of projects that are experimenting with leveraging decentralized technology to try and tackle uh, AML and KYC processes. Uh, and, and we see that there's a lot of possible, you know, efficiencies and innovations that could be leveraged in, in that area. But one of the complexities is matching up, you know, technically validated, you know, electronically validated identity with organizations obligations under the existing KYC and AML regulations which, which typically require businesses to actually you know at least if not have physical hard copy evidence of, of this documentation certainly to have at least seen it um, and I think that that doesn't match up very well in practice and there are lots of organizations that think to themselves well 
you know, it would be fantastic if we could leverage this technology, but, you know, we're not clear about if we do that, are we actually, you know, remaining compliant with our AML and KYC obligations? So I think just, you know, there are two areas in particular that I think are, you know, particularly interesting. And one final one maybe to mention as well, that, that again is really taking off, particularly the last six to 12 months, is the new data economy and, and the idea of, you know, these decentralized platforms that collect and leverage um, very large data sets from, you know, decentralized communities all over the world. And there's always been a bit of a tension between, you know, the way in which decentralized technology functions and data protection kind of obligations and um, frameworks, et cetera. And obviously at the moment, we are still very closely aligned or identically aligned, in fact, with uh, the EU on, on the data protection front. You know, we have a, a UK GDPR effectively, but I think we, we probably also now have a bit of a license to think about whether or not some small adjustments can be made to that law to ensure that it is consistent with these new technologies. Thanks, Chris. And just so you, you touched on DeFi and we're, we've seen the total value locked in in dollar numbers just increase exponentially. I was talking to the government about this recently and I recall at the beginning of 2020, there was uh, half a billion uh, value locked in. At the beginning of 2021, that number had bloomed to 20 billion and then over about six weeks, that number had gone to 40 billion. At these kind of rates of uh, change, uh, you know, where will the number be in a year? Absolutely. I mean, and, and I think, you know, if you look at the investment investment activity over the last year so you know through 2020 um you know and, and i think we might touch on this a little bit later anyway but you know it's been a very very busy year from an investment perspective and actually DeFi and and fintech projects actually secured about half of all money invested into our space so that just shows you the excitement and the potential i think for those technologies and, and as we said earlier i think that you know, the UK is definitely, it has extremely strong fintech credentials. And I think that seems to be a sensible space, you know, from a kind of regulation perspective to focus on making it easy for businesses to set up and operate here. And in your experience with our projects and the folk that you talk to, uh, Chris, do you see um, other jurisdictions sort of stealing some of the pie? We've, we've seen in traditional finance in Amsterdam since Brexit has has taken over as the lead um place for 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 equity trading in europe um, mm. what's your experience around other jurisdictions yes well i mean i think yeah the, in, in short absolutely there are other jurisdictions internationally who have been more um i guess proactive and quick in setting up a kind of uh, an end-to-end -end regulatory environment for businesses like the ones that come through our accelerators so i think some some good examples would be switzerland you know which is very well regarded for for this type of technology and you know is called crypto valley um and that is definitely a world leader in attracting you know the best caliber projects and i think singapore is also another um that has been very forward thinking and increasingly projects that you know might look at, at switzerland and think that it's it's, it has an excellent reputation, but it, it typically is quite expensive and time time consuming to set up. You know, Singapore represents a good alternative. It, it still has a good reputation, but perhaps is a bit quicker and more cost effective. You know, and I think our, our in-house view would be that there's no reason why the UK certainly couldn't be as competitive as Singapore or Switzerland in the future, and perhaps should be. Mm -hmm. Um, thank you. Okay. Well, now we've seen some regulatory clarity in the UK that we discussed, um, and Europe, and and the rest of the world. Are you seeing increased investment in terms of dollar numbers and and uh, 
applicants that are looking to get into your accelerators. Um, and then second part of the question, you know, as you mentioned earlier, the UK is taking a different approach um, to, to Europe. Um, what's your view for the short um, and medium term future for, for investment into the UK? Sure. So, I mean, yes, uh, we, we touched upon it earlier, but, but you know, investment has, has been skyrocketing really in the space, you know, through 2020, despite all of the, the COVID difficulties. And, you know, I think it, it, it tapered off a little bit at the beginning of the year, but since then, and, and particularly, as you mentioned, the, the growth in, in uh, interest in the DeFi space really propelled um, new investment. And, and actually globally, approximately $2.7 billion was raised um, through 2020. And that was around uh, over 580 uh, different transactions or different investments. Most of them were equity-based. Some of them were, were token-based or a hybrid where investors would take equity and, and also a form of token um, entitlement as well. And as we mentioned, DeFi had a particularly uh, impressive year where, where fintech and DeFi-based investments made up almost half of that amount, so about $1.6 billion. And then the second category was uh, projects that are operating in the data economy and the uh, NFT or non-fungible token space. And I think it's interesting also to look at this from a kind of geographic perspective when you look at the breakdown. So the majority of investment was into businesses actually located in North America, so $1.1 billion worth. Um, Europe managed to attract $716 million worth of investment, and the UK comprised about 20% of that, so about $140 million. And I think we would certainly like to see um, in the future that, you know, that red relative share, particularly of, of the European investment pie, but I think of also of the global investment pie for the UK, you know, increasing dramatically, you know, and I think that if the UK does some of the correct things over the next six to 12 months, you know, like we've been talking about, I think it's, it's in a very good place to potentially do that, you know, and build on um, a lot of its previous successes in technology and venture capital and the kind of financial and associated professional services um, sectors. You know, and I think if you step back and kind of look at the developing global regulatory picture, it does feel like to a degree in a lot of jurisdictions, we're at a bit of an inflection point, you know, where regulators are being forced to confront these new technologies, not just because, you know, they're, they're being shown to be increasingly useful to, you know, to solve a lot of inefficiencies in existing systems, but also because you know, the market conditions mean that, you know, they're getting too big to ignore in many ways. And I think... You know, regulators have two choices. They can either embrace these technologies and update regulatory frameworks to try and be proportionate and make it easy for these technologies to innovate and be adopted in their jurisdictions, or they can, you know, take a more defensive approach, uh, perhaps continue to rely on somewhat outdated regulatory and enforcement frameworks, and, and that actually leads to stifling innovation. And, and I think a good example of that at the moment actually is the US, where you know, there is a lot of, there's a lot of um, uncertainty about how the enforcement regime and the regulatory regime in our space is going to develop. And it's meant that a lot of projects that maybe were otherwise considering either locating in the US or, or even taking money from US-based investors are, are just deciding that they don't want to do that because it's too dangerous and too complicated for them at the moment. But obviously, you know, we're going through a regime change in the US at the moment, and we're keeping a very close eye on what's coming out of the SEC. Uh, you know, the new the new chairman, uh, Gary Genzo, who's just been appointed, and also the, the US Treasury, uh, Janet Yellen, also, you know, to see how they are going to kind of move forwards with um, 
regulating the space and if they're going to try and take a more nuanced approach. You know, and, and, you know, of course, you and I you know, have discussed in the past uh, the new FinCEN proposed rulemaking, you know, which would actually require KYC on self-hosted wallets, um, which is a very significant imposition. And, and, and I think a lot of people in the industry would view that as something which would greatly stifle innovation from a U.S. perspective going forwards. For sure, and especially the way that it was proposed within a short period of time over the Christmas holidays is not the right way to to engage in new regulation, especially when it's when it's so technical and, and has such a wide impact on on the development of of the ecosystem. Um, all right, Chris. Well, thank you ever so much for joining us. Sure. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, you today. If anybody would like to contact you, how do they do this? So we, um, you know, we're very active on social media, and uh, so you know, LinkedIn. Twitter um, and, and of course our website at liveventures.io um, as well. And I think I, I should also mention that we're currently recruiting um, for our new Basecamp Accelerator program. So you know if you are a project operating in the decentralized space, but particularly you know DeFi NFTs, um, we would love to hear from you. So um, what we'll do is perhaps put a put a link in uh, into the notes below so that people can uh, can access all of that. Terrific. Thank you so much.